Morning. Can y'all hear me? Is my mic on? Okay. I make sure that was off every time that we were uh, singing hymns. I, I, would, I was afraid half the sanctuary would leave if, uh, if y'all had heard me over the mic during those times. Uh, but uh, obviously, I am not Brother Chad. Uh, a couple uh, members of the congregation say that we look alike. And actually, when I met him, I kind of think that we resemble a little bit. And I'm not sure exactly how me or him feel about that. Um, but anyway, uh, my name is Jones Stanford. Um, I currently work with the uh, First United Methodist Church in Grenada, Mississippi, so I'm, I'm just right up the road from y'all. And uh, I'm really happy and I'm excited to be here this morning. Uh, a fun fact about me is that uh, my grandparents lived here in Winona, and uh, every weekend, I'm not sure if uh, they wanted to see me or my parents just wanted to dump me off for the weekend, but I essentially grew up here on the weekends, uh, and, and I was a part of my childhood was in uh, Winona, Mississippi. My grandparents were uh, Mike and Gail Jones. If you're old enough to remember Fuzzy's Fried Chicken, that was my granddad. So people that know that, that's my claim to fame around here. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, with that being said, I, I had the pleasure of meeting y'all's uh, senior pastor uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, he came to Grenada and we were supposed to uh, have lunch together and just have a little meet and greet. And uh, what ended up happening is me and him hit it off and we ended up talking for an hour and a half to two hours about uh, deep biblical concepts and theology, and we essentially just nerded out together for a good long time. And uh, throughout that meeting, though, eventually Chad asked me, he's like, well, I'm not going to be in town one day. Could you come uh, speak at my church? And I said, sure, I'd love to. And he goes, okay, it's the day after Christmas. And I was like, all right, that's fine. And uh, for one thing, I'm, I'm, I'm new to the ministry. I, I surrendered my life and received my calling uh, about two semesters ago, so I've never had the luxury to speak during uh, a time uh, or, or such an important time or uh, in the Christmas calendar, such as the day after Christmas. Uh, but anyway, obviously I said yes, because I'm here this morning, but um, when I was talking to Chad and, and when I was thinking about what, what do we need to hear, what do we need to talk about as a community believers, quite literally the day after Christmas. I mean, yesterday morning, you know, y'all were opening presents and, and singing together and drinking eggnog, whatever you do Christmas morning with your families. And now, and, and this is one thing that I love and also don't like about the holidays, we've gotten that over with and we're looking straight towards the New Year's and we're wondering, am I, do I have to host something this year or do I have to go somewhere? And, you know, uh, some of us are thinking about things like, you know, am I actually going to do a New Year's resolution this year? Am I going to go to the gym? Am I going to eat more vegetables or, you know, whatever, we're probably going to give up sometime between March or after that. Um, but anyway, one thing that I want us to, uh, to look at and I'll be transparent with the congregation this morning, I've gotten to the age to where Christmas and the holidays can almost be bittersweet in a way. And I feel that to a lot of us, we've had years and we've had moments during the holidays where it's a bittersweet thing. I'm to the age now where I remember that and I realize that you know my grandparents are no longer with me. And I realize that there's, there's family members that are no longer with us. And, and even this holiday in particular, um, you know, uh, my great uncle is Jimmy Perkins, a member of this congregation. And, and, you know, we received recently the news that, you know, he has cancer. And the morning of Christmas Eve, uh, one of our dear family friends has, has passed away. And, um, you know, we're thankful and we know that he is now uh, rejoicing in the hands that, that created him. However, for this Christmas in particular, it was bittersweet and it was sad. And one thing that I've realized as I've gotten older is that even when the holidays come around, even when we have these these big event, events where we're supposed to be rejoicing and being with family, the world doesn't stop. The human condition carries on, and we still have to deal with our everyday struggles. And one thing that I want, to, uh, that I want us to talk about today is, is for these past couple weeks, or if you're one of the people that puts up Christmas lights the day after Halloween these last couple months, 
you know, we've been hearing about the nativity and we've, we we're talking about that Emmanuel, that Christ has come to the earth. The, the most cataclysmic event of all of history is that God Himself has joined the material world as a baby and has come to say that the good news is finally here. And we've been talking about that and you've probably been looking at that with, with family and, and I assume Chad preached about it at least during the Christmas Eve service. And um, anyway, I want us to look at this morning as, as we've gone from this time of Christ being born, I want us to look at the start of Christ's ministry, when Christ started to spread the good news, when Christ performed His first miracle. And essentially what I want us to look at is as we're going into this new year, this, this new time, we're leaving behind whether 2021 was good or bad, you know, we're leaving that behind and we're going into essentially what we would consider a clean slate. This is a time for us to, to try new things, to do new things, or, or we just feel like we, we got the chance to do something we haven't been doing. And for one thing, I want to look at the example that Christ did when He first started his ministry and how that looks for us as believers. And uh, this morning we'll be reading uh, from Mark 1 and 2. Usually I try to just do a passage that we'll look at. However, right now we're looking at a timeline of Christ. So we'll jump kind of back and forth between Mark 1 and 2. But um, if you'll bow your heads and I'll, I'll uh, pray over Scripture and then we will go ahead with uh, the message. So, dear Father, I pray that uh, you will guide us and watch over us and, and, and direct us, Father, as we are gathered together to hear your word and hear your message. I pray, Father, that the, the words that uh, come from my mouth are your words and not my own, Father. I pray that you will, you will draw us closer to you and that you will peel our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this morning, if you'd like to follow along with me again, we'll be in Mark 1. And I'm going to start with uh, the passage that we just read, which is the baptism of Christ being verses 9 through 15. And we're going to jump over where uh, Christ calls His disciples and start reading from verses 21, I think they're 28. Um, but before I read that, one, uh, there's two things that I want us to know. So uh, in this passage, Mark the Apostle, the way that St. Mark himself writes is uh, there's probably some fancy term for it. I don't know exactly what you call it, but the way that Mark writes is there's this thing that, this is what I've been told it's called, it's called a Markian sandwich. So think of a Mark sandwich. And the way that he writes is Mark introduces this concept or this, this topic and will tell a story. And you'll wonder, why did Mark even talk about that? And a little bit later, you'll come around and we'll get kind of the end of that story and it'll all sandwich together and everything will kind of make sense. So I'm going to read a little bit right here and I'm going to tell you to kind of remember something and keep in mind that I said the Markian sandwich because eventually Mark is going to round together exactly what we're talking about. And the second thing I want to tell you before I start reading is that there's a, a settlement, a place that is in this passage and it's called... Uh, Capernaum and I tend to pronounce things however I pronounce them so if I say something that just sounds like that please know that I'm talking about the same place but anyway I'm going to go ahead and read uh, the start reading from uh, baptism of Christ and then we'll go back and unpack a little bit of what's going on here Jesus is baptized and tempted about that time Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River while he was coming up out of the water Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the spirit like a dove coming down on him and there was a voice from heaven, You are my Son, with whom I dearly love. In You I am well pleased. At once the Spirit forced Jesus out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for forty days, tempted by Satan. He was among the wild animals, and the angels took care of Him. And now we're going to skip to verses 21. Jesus throws out a demon. Jesus and His followers went to Capernaum. Immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and started teaching. The people were amazed by His teaching, for He was teaching them with authority, not like the legal experts. Suddenly there in the synagogue, a person with an evil spirit screamed, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Silence, Jesus said, speaking harshly to the demon, and come out of him. 
The unclean spirit shook him and screamed, and then it came out. Everyone was shaken and questioned amongst themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He even commands demons and they obey him. Right away, the news about him spread throughout the entire region of Galilee. Amen. So going back, I want us to, to look at uh, what happened here at uh, the, the baptism of Christ. So uh, as, as we see, and, and as was uh, read in the bulletin, verses 9 through 11, this moment right here, I can't go into it uh, too depth or we could honestly be here forever. And I know a lot of us want to get lunch at some point. But uh, the baptism of Christ, uh, this is essentially one of the most important and cataclysmic moments that have happened in all of history. As uh, we see here, we see literally all persons of the Trinity, the triune God is revealed at this one section and shown to everyone that it, that is here at this moment. We see Christ is as baptized and came out of the water that, that the heavens themselves opened. Then the, the second part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit comes down and God Himself says to Jesus Christ, God the Father says, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. And we're here. Keep this passage in mind. We're going to come back to it. But let's go quickly to verses, uh, verse 22. The people were amazed by his teaching, for he was teaching them with authority, not like the legal experts. One thing that I want to point out in this passage, essentially, we probably all heard this story at one point in time. Christ healing this demon possessed man uh, inside the synagogue. But one thing that I'll point out that, that, that's so neat to us is that the people were already amazed with Christ before that event happened. So before Christ had essentially healed someone that had an unclean spirit. And I, and I don't know about y'all, but if I went to Walmart or, or wherever around here and somebody had healed a demon-possessed man, that would have been the highlight of my day for that moment. However, when we look in this passage, it says that when Christ came and was teaching these people, that the words He said had already amazed them. This was before He had healed this man. And why essentially is that? What is it that, that was different about what Christ was saying compared to the legal experts of this time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Well, for one thing, back in this time, we've all heard it. Usually when we think of the Pharisees and Sadducees, we think of people that, uh, that were religious leaders that had become corrupt. They had trusted their, their human traditions more than what the Word of God had taught them and what they had been told. And in today's time, yes, that still happens, but uh, something has almost taken another form of that. You know, um, I call it the veggie tale syndrome. If you brought up making your kids or allowing them to watch veggie tales, you know, we we hear about all these stories of these biblical characters and we think that, wow, these are really good guys. These are these are heroes. But in fact, a lot of times in Scripture, we we look at people and we look at, at uh, the heroes in Scripture. They're sinners and they're really bad people. And the only way that we have good stories about them is what God has done in their own lives. And for one thing, in today's time, what, what a big problem that we have is that we hear these these words and we hear these sayings that we use all the time it's like that christ died for your sins we hear that that you are forgiven we hear that 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 god that god is going to show up and god works in mysterious ways and there's these really deep things that have a lot of meaning however they mean nothing to us because we hear it so often and for one thing is that when christ was talking to these people in the synagogue he was speaking with authority he was speaking with something new and he was bringing something new to the table and what, what is this authority? What is this that Christ is using as we, as we go further down the text? Scripture plainly tells us, we look at verses 23 and 24. We talk, uh, it says, Suddenly there in the synagogue, a person of the evil spirit screamed, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. That is the authority right there, is that even the demons look at Christ and say, This is the Son of God. This is the Holy One of God. Christ's message was, was new and it was something that, that was spoken with authority because of who Christ was, that this is the second part of the Trinity. 
Going quickly to verse 25. We see here, Silence, Jesus said, speaking harshly to the demon. Come out of him. The unclean spirit shook him and screamed. And then it came out. Notice this. In this passage, we have in my translation and yours, we'll say different things. It's silence with the exclamation point, And then it talks about that the, sh- that the spirit was shook and it screamed. It also talks about that Christ spoke harshly to the demon. One thing that I want to make a connection to in, in today's world, and, and I already kind of brought up that, you know, if, if I went out into the public today and I saw somebody that was, that was being healed from being demon-possessed, you know, that would be the talk of the town for a good while. Um, however, for one thing, is that in today's time, when we think of unclean spirits, when we think of, uh, of demons, when we think of, of things such as that, it doesn't necessarily take on the form that we always see in Mark 1. You know, when we think of evil spirits, when we think of unclean things, it doesn't always take the form of something that, that we see in scary movies. One thing I want to take an aside and, and talk about, in, in today's culture, in, in today's time specifically, the enemy has changed and I'm afraid that the church hasn't necessarily. In, in today's culture, uh, cultural Christianity has become such a popular thing to where, where we want to be Christians and we want to be identified with a local congregation, but we do it after we've already established how we want to live. We live the way we want to live and we make Christianity conform to how our lifestyle already is. And one thing that I want to talk about this morning is that cultural Christianity is not a thing. Christianity does not coexist with culture. For one thing, as we see here, when Christ rebukes this evil spirit, He casts it out. He speaks harshly to it. And let me tell you, where am I going with this? One thing is, is that I've had, the, I've had the pleasure recently to work with the youth in, um, in Grenada at First United Methodist. And one thing that I've looked at is, is the trends of the last decade of youth have changed compared to even when I was just a kid, which, I mean, I guess to a lot of y'all still am a kid. But um, anyway, one thing that I looked at, these are, these are CDC statistics that, that I honestly hope aren't true, but in the last decade alone, one thing that we've seen is that there's been a, there's been a 30% increase in teenagers hurting themselves without intention of suicide. In 2017, we have, we've had, uh, through polls, we've had more than half of the people turning age admitted to having premarital sex outside of marriage. Youth suicide rates have increased 60% in the last decade alone. And 59% of youth will have binge drank before their senior year of high school and 10% admit to have already used and misused prescription drugs. Point being, as I said, the enemy has changed. In these days, not necessarily everything we see and in, in, in the enemy looks evil. It looks, it looks pleasing. It looks comforting. And it's, and it's seeped its way into our culture. If we go far enough upstream, the the problem that I think that our generation has, my generation, but I also think that it's seeped through everywhere in our society, is that we have this problem with, with things such as, as worth and with things such as, as security. And for one thing, there's that many people had these insecurities in, in their life and, these, and these, these problems with relationships. I remember a few years ago, there was a government ad that was put out where it was, it was like the kids you know, getting picked for a dodgeball game. And then there was the kid that was always, always picked last. And there was a thing where it was talking about that it showed him leaving there and then going back to his home life where he had a broken home. And, and the message of it was talking about, about loving one another, but it, but it was getting at is that society feels that and people feel that to where they're never picked first. Going further and in, in talking about problems in our home lives, one thing that also has been a problem with, with, this, with new evangelism to youth and to younger people is that if you haven't noticed, or I think we can kind of look plainly, that the family dynamic has changed in America. 
We've gone from the nuclear family of mom and pop and two kids to single mothers and a broken household. And for one thing is when we, when we talk to new kids that come into the church, especially if their parents aren't in attendance, we find that it's hard to talk to them about to look at God the Father in heaven as their father or to look at Him as a father figure because they don't have an example of what that looks like in an earthly sense. And this ties in to the biggest problem that our generation has is that we like to compare God and we like to put God up to standards that we already have preset. These notions that we already have. People like to, to judge Scripture and judge our Gospels and, and say, this doesn't match my lifestyle or is this actually how, I'm supposed to, actually how I'm supposed to live? This was written thousands of years ago. When in fact, what is happening is that they try to judge the Gospel, but in turn, the Gospel is judging them. Scripture is judging them and God is judging them. They're condemned by the cross that is supposed to save them and they don't like it. Very quickly, I want to turn to Ephesians 1. You don't have to turn with me. I'll I'll read it to you. But one thing is that I want to talk about is that there's actually something that, that my culture and my generation has gotten correct. Is that if that were the end of the story, if we, if we were going to look and say, well, we're not good enough or, or that we're broken or that, or that, or that we're, just, we're just not all there, you know, that'd probably be right. I, I can't disagree with that. Um, when I was younger, I wanted, I think at one point in time, I wanted to be president. I wanted to be an astronaut. And I wanted to play NFL football. And obviously, I'm a preacher. So, um, <laughs> but uh, for one thing is that I'm, I'll, I'll, go, I'll tell you, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough to be any of those things. And I'm okay with that. And I think a lot of us should know these things. But one thing specifically that I want to talk about this morning is that that's not where the story ends necessarily. Really quickly, I'm going to read from Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. And this is, for, this is a message for us as believers. The believer's blessing. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence before the foundations of the world. God destined us to be His adopted children through Jesus Christ because of His love. This was according to His goodwill and plan. Amen. One thing, uh, really quickly, there's a common misunderstanding when when we read this passage and when people see some of these words, when, when they're using the words like chosen and, and, and destined thing where people like to focus and they, they, they get scared and they think, does this mean that God has, has chosen who, who is to be saved already? And there's nothing necessarily we can do about it. They miss the point uh, of the passage. If we look back in verses 3 and 5, one thing this, that this section is mainly talking about is that if we are in Christ, we partake in the divinity of Christ. You see, throughout that section, if you read the whole chapter of, of Ephesians 1 and just through Ephesians, that term is going to be used a lot for those chosen in Christ, being in the church body, being in the communion of believers. We are now part of that. We are now partake of the holiness and divinity of Christ. What does that mean? That means you're, you are like Christ. You are not a slave anymore. You're not a slave to your sin. And these, these infirmities that you have, this, this brokenness that you have, this, that is part of just the human condition in itself, has been cast to hell just as Christ did this demon that we've read in Mark 1. We have been ransomed in Christ. We have been bought by His blood. And for one thing that, that we have to know is that Christ did not die so that we may wallow in our sin. For one thing that, that, that happens too a lot, and, and this is part of, of how we've conformed Christianity in, in such a terrible way, is that you know, some people that, that know better, that are, that are church people, that have grown up in the church, they'll say things that, well, I know that I'm forgiven, but I still feel so bad. Or I know what Jesus 
did for me, but I just I don't think that I'm good enough. They'll say things like that. And for one thing that I want you all to hear this morning, if you don't hear anything else that I say, is that we're not supposed to wallow in our sin. And I tell you what Christ did on the cross was good enough for us. That we don't have to believe that lie that I know what Christ did, but there's no other but. Because everything and every part of our salvation that we have is because of what has already been done from us. Quickly, I want to go back to, uh, we're going to look at Mark 2 now, going further in the text. So, again, Christ has just, has just healed this uh, demon-possessed man and has essentially sent him out. And, and, and these people have gone and talked about everything that have happened. So I'm going to read here just verses 1 and 2 really quickly. After a few days, Jesus went back to Capernaum and people heard that He was home. So many gathered there that there was no longer space, not even near the door. Jesus was speaking the Word to them. So one thing that I want to talk about here and just stop really quickly is notice Jesus had left Capernaum and now He's back. So when Christ had first been to this place. He goes into the synagogue. He, he, he talks about this message that surprises the people and quite literally heals the demon-possessed man. And if you remember in the passage, the people ask the question, who is this guy? Like, like, what is he doing? What authority is he speaking from? And after Christ had healed this demon-possessed man, it says in that passage, it says that they went out the entire hills of Galilee and spread the good news. And one thing is when Christ has left and He comes back, notice we're backing Capernaum, and there's so many people there. The crowd is so big that it says Christ can't go to his front door. This person that I've been talking about, this demon-possessed man, this is what we refer to as church history as the first evangelist. This man Christ healed is considered the first person to ever take the Great Commission essentially before it was given, but to go and spread the good news. And once he did that, everyone that had been around in this area had come to hear what Christ's message was. One thing that I want to talk about and continue about that is that notice that this man who is demon-possessed, we don't know much about him prior to this, but uh, I, I'm not really sure about the entire deep theological context of it, but you know, if somebody's demon-possessed, you'd have to assume that they had not been living correctly, you know, the, the least of the matter. And for one thing, we would assume that this man had not been church. We'd assume that this man had not been raised in the Scriptures. And so he knew nothing. He didn't even know who Christ was until after Christ healed him. And yet he was able to go into the countryside and spread the good news to all these people. All that he knew was that I was broken. I was quite literally demon-possessed. But yet this man named Jesus saved me. And through that message alone, was able to bring a crowd in of what we assume is hundreds of people to where Christ couldn't even go to His front door and bring them the good news of the Gospel. I want us to go back now and look, and this is what I was talking about earlier, is, is, is connecting what Mark is writing about and why Mark writes. We're going to look back at, at verses 9-11 through 11 in, in chapter 1. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and John baptized Him in the Jordan River. While He was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and like a dove coming down on Him. And there was a voice from heaven saying, You are My Son with whom I am well pleased. Notice there that this passage, I accidentally skipped that part, You are My Son whom I dearly love and in You I am well pleased. God the Father looks at the Son and says, You are My Son with whom I am well pleased. This is before Christ had performed this miracle that I talked about. This is before that Christ had first delivered the good news. Before Christ had essentially done anything what we would consider of value or effort towards His ministry, God the Father looks at Him and says, I already love you. And with you, I am already well pleased. 
And one thing that I want to share with you all this morning and in closing is as we go into this new year, you know, we, we're essentially going back into the war zone with a clean, with a clean slate. We're going back into a time where we feel that, that you know, we're done with all the holidays and everything, and now I've got I to look and I'm going to set things right this year, or I'm going to try to do better this year. I want you to know for one thing is that we talked about this man, this demon-possessed man that Christ healed. He didn't know anything else except that God has saved me. And before that has happened, is for us as believers, for those of us who are in Christ, that as we go through this year, know that you are already loved and that with you, God is already well pleased with you. If you'll bow your heads. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to be in fellowship with you, this time that we've been able to, to read your word and dive deeper into your word. Father, I pray that you will continue to, to lavish your love and your grace upon us, especially as we go into this, this new year, Father, that uh, whatever, is, whatever is happening and going on in our lives, that, that you will still be leading us to perfection in your love, Father, that you will still be drawing us closer to you. Father, I pray that we will always remember your love for us. And I pray that we will always know, Father, who you are and what you have done in our lives. And in your name we pray. Amen.